0: All you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how they could old me
3: If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's
4: only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live-ish Online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Workers at Starbucks continue to make waves, and we hear from some of the workers in Memphis that Starbucks fired in retaliation. Alabama coal miners had a hearing in the Senate today, no thanks to Alabama's delegation. Politicians in Montgomery moved to increase liberty with respect to firearms and decrease it with respect to our speech and assembly rights. We speak to Senator Sam Gavan about that. And you know what? We've got more on today's program. If you want to tell us what you think about the program today or ask us a question, you can leave us a voicemail. We've got a phone number. That number is 844 899 tvlr 844-899-8857 is the phone number. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time we finish on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, then you can find us anywhere online. We are on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, we're wherever you get your podcasts all at, the valley labor report and just a reminder your support does help us stay on the air our single largest source of funding comes directly from our listeners if you want to become a sustaining member of the program or make a one-time donation you can go to unionly.io slash o slash tvlr or patreon.com slash the valley labor report if you're a member of a union you should get your local to sponsor the show you can reach out to me for more details on that So, workers at Starbucks have been running away with probably the most impressive organizing campaign in modern history. As of Thursday evening, workers at Starbucks have won two union elections. They have had ballots impounded at a third in Arizona because of the uh, uh, intransigence of the National Labor Relations Board. They've announced intentions to file for a union election at more than 93 locations and they have filed for election at 78 locations, covering more than 2,000 baristas. Of course, like any group of workers organizing collectively to improve their working conditions, the company is fighting back through some legal and some illegal tactics. All of them, however, are unethical. Baristas have faced bombardment by executives on their locations, harassment by managers that they'd never met before, intimidation, including six-on-one mandatory meetings, unnecessary captive audience meetings including one that uh was forced on our friends at the knoxville location you'll remember us speaking to maggie carter a month or so ago that exposed the entire crew to covid and closed the shop down for a whole week and that is uh that's why we've got our next guest on the line today retaliatory firings Baristas at a Memphis Starbucks announced that they would be unionizing a couple of weeks ago, and they gave an interview with local media on January 18th, for which they were fired. The company claims the firings had nothing to do at all with the unionization efforts, rather for violations of safety and security policies, namely policies that have to do with locked and unlocked doors, unauthorized persons in the building and someone being in the safe who has no who was not the authorized cash handler. Now, there are no allegations of anything being missing from the safe. And of course, As anybody who works in the restaurant industry will tell you, it is not uncommon that you would be at a workplace when you are off the clock, nor is it uncommon that a non-employee would be in the building after store hours. I'm willing to accept that maybe there are some companies that take these policies more seriously than others, but... I believe it's wholly illegitimate to fire employees as a first response to violations of these policies, especially given that these policies had not been consistently enforced. As the former manager of this location can attest, let's listen to a clip of a video that she sent to More Perfect Union. Adam, uh, play that clip for us.
5: My name is Amy Holden, and I am the former store manager of the Starbucks Poplar and Highland location where many union partners were terminated today. I was with the company for nine and a half years, so I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of what Starbucks policies and procedures are. We have a process at Starbucks when it comes to corrective actions and terminating partners. We do not move straight to termination for anything that is not considered egregious, like stealing and harassment and those kinds of things. Those things we would move towards corrective action to as long as partner resources supported it. The majority of a violation, a policy violation, would move to some level of corrective action where we would assume positive intent and help that partner correct their action rather than moving straight to termination. It's very rare that we move straight to termination for some sort of policy violation. These partners were terminated for policies like going behind the line when they were off the clock. It's something that's done across the company and especially in the Memphis area. They went behind the line for various reasons, but if we terminated everybody that did that we would not have a staff many of those partners have done those things directly in front of the district manager and the new store manager and they've never been coached on it before
4: so clearly what we're looking at here is a selective enforcement of store policy so we wanted to talk to some of the folks that have been affected by this we brought on two of the seven that were fired Nebretta and kylie uh thanks for taking the time to join us today y'all i really appreciate it
6: oh thank you for having us
4: so can y'all tell us why the company told you that you were fired?
6: Um, well, I know I was um, in my write-up. It says that I went and back house unauthorized. Well, off the clock, I should say. Um, I went behind the bar off the clock, and um, it said that I unlocked a door for an unauthorized person to enter the building after closing, which is completely untrue. I was
7: never near the door.
4: And Kylie, what about you?
7: I was told I was fired for being behind the bar off the clock. I was fired for being back at the house off the clock, uh, for being in the store after hours, and for not wearing a mask while off the clock.
4: So we listened to your former manager say that these policies were not enforced before. Is that something that y'all can confirm?
7: Yeah. Yes, definitely. I
4: so can you talk to us about like the she she even said that you did some of these things in front of the new store manager and the district manager uh, before and nothing was said is that true
7: yes um, yes definitely yes. <laughs> all the
4: time so and I worked in a restaurant for three years and this is something that uh that that happened at my restaurant all the time as well uh, we would have. You know, uh, there would be people in the restaurant after we closed, like our friends, just you know goofing off with us in the store. <laughs> like sometimes we would even make food, like just hang out in the store sometimes. Which that's you know, I'm and y'all didn't even do that. Yeah. Y'all, talk to us about what like what exactly happened there because I've seen some differing accounts of exactly who was in the store at what time. So can you talk to us about that afternoon when you brought the media in, when the store closed, when y'all were there, all those types of things?
6: Um, yeah, sure. So I know um, everybody that did the news broadcasting, including the media that was there, they were a hundred percent there before we closed. We have a grace period policy where we're not even allowed to tell customers that we're closed until at least 10 minutes after we had closed. Uh, we treated them like we would treat any other customer. We allowed them to stay. They wanted to interview us. And so that's exactly what we did.
4: So it wasn't even like y'all brought them into the store after it was closed. They came wanting to interview you and you allowed them to stay and gave the interview. Yes. Yeah, correct. So, Given the lack of enforcement of these policies beforehand and the situations around the actual incident itself, why do you believe that you were fired?
7: We were 100 percent fired because we were trying to build the union within our store, um, because these were like we said before, these were all policies that were never enforced. But all of a sudden, as soon as we went public, they decided they want to start enforcing policies and trying to do everything they could to get us in trouble.
6: Definitely. I can attest to that. Um, I know one of the people that was fired had completely nothing at all to do with the news broadcasting, but she was seen on camera signing a union card that day. So they fired her.
4: Wow.
8: And could y'all remind us how soon did these firings happen after the interview?
5: Oh, um, like it took about, about a weeks. month. Yeah, like a Three, couple
7: like- of weeks,
6: almost a month before they even um concluded their quote-unquote investigation as they call it
4: Mm. Mm, mm. so how have the uh how the people that were not fired how have they taken it
7: oh they're so riled up they're ready to fight harder than ever and they have been fighting a lot harder than they were before because it they know that none of us had done anything wrong or done anything that we hadn't been doing since we were working there before so everybody has just been fighting and pushing a lot harder than before
6: definitely we um already have a whole new committee um since they fired the original committee we've already had a whole another committee and they're now starting their um their anti-union scheduled meetings so Mm -hmm. they're definitely holding in strong in there
4: That's great to hear Um, it. I'm really glad that it seems like these firings have had the opposite effect. Let's talk about y'all. There have been uh, there's been a lot of support pour in from across the country. There's been a GoFundMe that's currently raised more than $50,000 to support you all uh, while you're waiting to hopefully get your jobs back. And There were protests at unionizing Starbucks locations across the country, including at your location in Memphis. What has it felt like seeing that outpouring of support?
6: Um, I know it's been, uh, very important to us and we greatly appreciate how much support we have, um, gotten because these things were, um, unjust. And I mean, of course, you know, we're a little sad and upset that we can't work with our friends anymore because we're super close to our store. We're like a family there. So it's kind of sad that we have to kind of watch them through the window and they have to watch us through the window. Um, but I mean... It's been uplifting. Um, I just love all the community support and the national support that we have received. It's been amazing.
7: Yeah, no, I've honestly felt the same way. It's honestly like warmed my heart a lot and I cannot thank anybody enough for um, the support that they've given us. Like I will go through, like I'll just be scrolling through Twitter and I'll almost start crying just from how Mm -hmm. much people have been supporting us. It's been so nice to see.
4: Yeah, it. it I, I've enjoyed seeing it. And I, I can't imagine how it would how it would feel to be on the, the receiving end of, of so much support from from all across the country. Um, why did y'all want to unionize in the first place? Like, what was the catalyst there?
7: Um, I know. I personally started unionizing not for myself, but I did it for the coworkers around me because I was watching everybody being cast aside, every concern was not being addressed, no matter how much we were trying to address it. And I just got to the point where I was tired of watching my friends being hurt left and right. And so I was wanting, I would just, as soon as somebody said, Hey, let's form, let's start forming the union. I jumped right on board for everybody.
6: Yeah. Mine was more um, of like safety precautions and health Things in the store um, Starbucks you know says that they're doing everything they can for COVID um, cases but I mean we had a case in our store where um, I want to say like 95% of our store had caught in COVID and I know mm-hmm. I was exposed multiple times regardless of me being fully vaccinated I still feel unsafe in an environment and I let my manager know that and she basically just brushed me off and was like well you're fine because you're vaccinated no that's not okay to be around mm. people like that,
4: yeah. So when we tweeted about this or, or, or shared something that y'all had said, and the and it, it was uh, crazy because you know we're like a, a small talk radio program in Alabama, and the director of crisis communications for Starbucks emailed us, wanting to like quote unquote like correct the record, and he was extremely adamant that it's like that the safety is such an important thing that these are terminable offenses because they take, um, quote unquote, partner safety. So seriously, how would you respond to, to the claim that Starbucks takes worker, worker safety very seriously?
7: I would Uh, say
6: you go first. Oh, sorry. Um, I, um, don't believe they do. I mean, they say that we don't need a union and that we can solve this in-house. We don't need a union and everything. And I mean, it's kind of crazy they even say that because when you go to the higher ups, they just push you to the side and Mm -hmm. for them to come out and to try to um, make us seem like bad people and basically just trying to dirty our name like that, I think it's ridiculous that they would even um, try to say that we were so unsafe. I mean, if we were so unsafe, why allow us to work uh, three, almost four weeks with other people if we're so unsafe?
4: Mm. Yeah.
7: Right. No. Yeah. That's definitely what I was going to say as well is we're definitely like, they're definitely trying to do, they're reaching out to small programs just to try and save their own face because, you know, you, I'm sure they fire a bunch of people throughout the company like very month. I'm sure they fire so many and just for them to just now be reaching out to media to justify themselves. That's how, you know, like what they know what they're doing because like, you don't hear them reaching out to like New York times to justify why they fired this person for being late that many times. Like they're just doing this To save face and to show that, oh, we're still a progressive company, but these people Mm -hmm. were here to fight the progressiveness and everything.
4: Right, right. Do y'all regret um, uh, beginning this this effort?
6: Oh, no, definitely not. If I could do it again, I would 100% do it again, the exact same way.
7: Oh, yeah, no, same. I do not regret this at all. We've had so many people reach out to us. Tell them that we have made them a lot more confident in and unionizing. And so we've just been like a support, like a support for many people. And I would not have another team that I would rather do this with.
4: That's great. I'm I'm really glad to hear it. To wrap up the conversation, I'll give you a um, a fun tidbit from my conversation with Reggie, the uh, director of crisis communications for Starbucks. Uh, when I ended my conversation with him, I asked him how much he was making and he did not want to tell me. So (laughs) (laughs) when I asked him, he was like, how much are you making? And I said, $55,000 a year. What about you? And he was like, well, that's great. I'm sure you do a great job. I'll talk. I'll let me know if you have any other questions.
6: (laughs) Oh wow! (laughs) Yeah. They definitely (laughs) just want to cover their, all their bases. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly.
4: All right. Well, Kylie Nebretta, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
7: Thank absolutely. you so much. Thank you for covering up the story.
8: And stay strong. We've got yeah. your back and there are people all over this country, all over the south that that are really inspired by your actions and, and will continue to support you.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. Thank
7: you guys so much. And thank you for that support so much. That honestly yeah. means a lot.
4: Absolutely. And let us know if there's ever anything that we can do. Like I said, I'm the Secretary-Treasurer of the North Alabama Labor Council. Uh, I know some folks that are a little bit closer to your area. So if there's anything that we can do as unionists, let us know. If there's ever a story that you want us uh, you want uh, us to talk about or, or um, to talk to us about, let us know. Happy to support. Uh, y'all have a good one, okay?
7: All right. You too. Thank you. Right. Thank you.
4: We've been talking to Nebretta and Kylie. They are uh, former Starbucks baristas. They were fired in retaliation for. Um Uh, For unionizing at a Memphis location, Uh, Starbucks workers United have filed an unfair labor practice, alleging that these firings were illegal retaliation for their union support. And they are seeking a 10 J injunction to quickly reinstate these workers with back pay, which is a process that the new Biden appointed NLRB General Counsel Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo says she intends to pursue aggressively. She has got a chance to prove it now. Uh, You've been listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. We are going to be talking about the legislative session with State Senator Sam Gavan on the other side of this break, so don't turn the dial. start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477 they only work with the best in the business vetted contractors and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection from welding to heavy rigging from structural repairs to machinery alignment and much more they supply manpower on 4 of the 5 largest projects in North Alabama so you know they're legit if you need good quality safe efficient diligent and knowledgeable workers on your job then you need the iron workers local 477 call jeb miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the valley labor report
1: ibw 558 is like a great football team You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice.
4: Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know how viable clean and renewable energy is, and to that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K 12 students across the state. And they are working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about their work and how you can join at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the Southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855 617 9333. Let Maples, Tucker and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855-617-9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms.
8: Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org.
0: Come on, you poor workers, good news to you. I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell.
4: Alabama's only union talk radio show my name is jacob morrison my co-host is adam keller and uh this is the valley labor report folks our next guest is state senator is a state senator from north alabama senator sam gavan uh senator thank you for your time i really appreciate it so first i wanted to get your thoughts on the constitutional carry bill uh there's been significant opposition to this bill from the police. And basically, so far, you and the other Republicans have said, you know, thanks for your input. We're not really interested. We're going to do it anyways. (laughs) Uh, Why? Why is that?
3: Well, I don't think that's across the board. I think it depends on, uh, you know, it gets down. So many of these things get down to the old adage of all politics being local. And, you know, what's the position of someone sheriff, or sheriffs. I mean, I'm I'm kind of fortunate. I've got one sheriff, and a lot of senators only have one sheriff. But you know, some senators may have as many as eight sheriffs in their district. I mean, the district geographically are huge compared to mine. So um, you know, that, they've got to take that input from local law enforcement and, and, and balance it against what they think is right and what the uh, what they're hearing from their constituents. And that's you know, that's a balance and act. What everybody's got to do.
4: Right, right. But the the bill has passed out of the Senate, right?
3: No, the Senate has not taken up any. We're talking about uh, the constitutional Constitutional carry. Carry.
9: bill.
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. no bills have passed the Senate. Only uh, Senator Allen's bill, I think it was SB1, passed out of Judiciary Committee, but has not made it to the Senate floor. And I'm honestly not expecting it to make it to the Senate floor. Uh, You know, what we've been told is that, that, you know, you know, if something passes, it's going to be something originated from the House of Representatives. Uh, I heard there was a deal cut today, but you know the fact of the matter is the sheriffs might like it better than what was offered before, but it doesn't mean they really like mm. it that they're for it. So I don't know that a compromise, a true compromise, is ever going to come in place on this bill. Uh, there's just too many um, divergent points.
4: Interesting, interesting. Okay, so I, I was a bit misinformed. I thought that it had already passed the Senate. Uh, so what, it, do you it, may think-
3: what it may be what you it may be what was said is that this has passed the senate several times in the past before i mm. got to the senate okay mm. and the position has been over the last few years is hey look the senate has passed this uh house you pass it and we'll you know we'll take it up and so i think that may be what uh, you were thinking about
4: okay okay so how do you how do you feel about its prospects then passing a, uh, passing the house and the senate <sighs>
3: You know, in, in an election year, I'm kind of thinking it's 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 dicey because, uh, you know, first of all, there's there's several sides to the coin. I mean, when when you poll the issue about constitutional carry, and you know people shouldn't be doing things on polling, but that's you know it, it's mm. can't tell me it doesn't factor into a lot of people. But when you poll constitutional carry and you say, are you for constitutional carry? The the, the initial response is pretty high, and then when you come back and you say. Is your, what if you knew your local sheriff was opposed to this bill because it, you know, affected, uh, you know, law enforcement safety, policing activities, et cetera, that number starts to drop. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that you get to that other side of the coin and what is, what is the, um, you know, when the voter gets the rest of the story, um, you know, and I, I think I take issue with some of their arguments uh, personally on constitutional carry and, but, you know, one of my one of my constituents asking me is, "Were you are you absolutely for it?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, I'm not, of course not absolutely for it. I mean, it, it depends on. I mean, you know, we get into semantics there. I mean, can you you know take a loaded gun into the courthouse? You know, because you've got a constitutional right to do so. No, I don't think that's a good idea, especially you know since we've had people gunned down on the uh, steps of the uh, Madison County courthouse uh, in at least the last twenty five years, maybe more recently than that. So you know, while I support it generically, you know, everything's going to have limits. <clears throat> mm.
4: Right. Right. So the um, and and that's more or less, I, I think that we are we're at least unopposed to it. I, I know that that Adam Adam is a gun owner, um, one of the former hosts of the show, uh, president of the Machinist Union in Decatur. Very big gun owner. We're at least not opposed to the bill, and and my I, I guess I had thought that you were you were maybe more in favor of it than than you seem to be from some of the other interviews that you've given. Um, and it is, but it's, again,
3: because, it's, it's it's a matter of degree cause you and I apologize because I mean and, and your listeners can't can't know all obviously what 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 I've been through, but I mean I get so many different fronts on this. I mean I mm-hmm. I, I am I am for. A constitutional carry i've never hidden that fact but um but there's some people who want to push it to a point that to where you know it would even make me uncomfortable
4: right so you know and you've said the the argument basically from the police has been that there's a certain amount of safety that that may be uh safety risks involved in a constitutional carry bill um and potentially it will lead to a decrease in the amount of crimes that we can solve because uh, you can use a gun as a pretext for further investigation. Um, but, but like you said, generally speaking, you're supportive of constitutional carry, and so more or less you feel that the the potential damage to police officers or um, potentially even civilians, the decreased stability of police officers to use that as a pretext for searching. Uh, somebody, you feel that's like a fair trade, generally speaking, and and maybe we can quibble about the actual risk that exists there, but you feel that's a fair trade for the liberty and, and the and the right that somebody has to to carry a gun in in most places.
3: Yeah, you know, um, one of the arguments has been as well, that takes away a tool away from us. Well, you know, you can. You know, you could do unreasonable searches and seizures, and that gives you a new tool mm-hmm. there. You know, if you want to violate right. the Constitution, you know. So, you know, it's it's again a, a balance on that. But I'll give you a specific uh, example where two murders were solved. Uh, of, of this is what we're hearing. I'm not. I'm just just laying out what, what an example, uh, anecdotal evidence of what uh, their tool and their arsenal is. And uh, you know, so four guys are pulled over uh, and in central Alabama, uh, west central Alabama, I guess. And they were, um, they had, you know, guns that were uh, visible when the police officer pulled them over. And the uh, police officer knew that one of these, uh, individuals had, had murdered somebody in the past, couldn't prove it, but it's kind of one of those things they knew. And, uh, you know because they you know pulled them over asked about the permits they saw the guns out they didn't have permits they were able to run the guns they end up getting two murder confessions out of that and no coercing no beating no nothing like that just you know you know both <laughs> two guys racing i guess to the punch to try to, to uh, turn states evidence before you know everybody else did and save their skin best they could so there are examples of where this was used, but I mean, all the surrounding areas of uh, surrounding areas, all the surrounding states and read the laws. I know Mississippi is an absolute constitutional carry state, but I've been told that Tennessee, Georgia and Florida, you can drive with a loaded gun in, you know, in your vehicle. And that's kind of an extension of the castle doctrine. And that is not mm-hmm. require a permit. And that's really where I want to be. That's that's what's important to me. And you, you know, look at all the states around us, their crime hadn't gone through the roof. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and let's not forget a big issue about this is money. When you find out in Montgomery, uh, we, we've given overgeneralization and say it's always about the money. And that's not 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 entirely true, but it's often about the money. And here that's that's the case because sheriffs do make a lot of money off of permits. And that's, you know, uh, that's an overriding uh, issue here.
4: hmm. Right, right. And and so, uh, another thing uh, around the ability to carry guns is that currently guns are, are banned at protests. Would this change that? And 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 I know that, for example, the miners that are on strike in Brookwood, Alabama, they faced company inspired violence by scabs and bosses, including actually being shot at themselves. And I'm sure that they'd appreciate the ability to defend themselves on the picket line. If uh would, would this bill allow them to do that?
3: So the um the bill that i understand and i haven't seen its last iteration that's working through the house does not increase the places that you can carry a, a weapon so would not um so i don't if it's not i would say if you could open carry now then you you should still be able to conceal carry i think but you can't you know there's a lot of places you can't open carry uh, mm-hmm. And, and for, for people that don't know, if you if you do have a weapon that is not concealed, it is, quote, open carry where people can see that you have it right now. That's the law. You walk down the street with a, you know, w- with a gun on your holster on your hip. You which, But you put a coat on to cover that gun up, you, you know, then then you're in trouble. And I actually had a, mm-hmm. a one of my church members came up to me uh, Sunday getting on me pretty hard uh, because he was fishing on. on. um uh, Lake Gunnersville, and a couple guys come up, uh, you know, with open carry holsters. And he's like, that's intimidating. Why are they doing that? They're doing that to intimidate. And so he thought it ought to go the other way. And I was like, hey, that that horse is out of the barn. It's not going back.
4: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the 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 law is that, that you're not allowed to open or concealed carry uh, on in. In a a protest like environment. And so that that does include picket lines. So that being the case, um, it will. Do you anticipate a push from somebody else or do you anticipate pushing yourself uh, to change that?
3: I don't think so. I don't think that you're going to see changes in the Senate to uh, to the bill that comes out of the House uh, of consequence. I think whatever comes out of there that's gonna be the thought process is that's all that's gonna be able to pass the House of Representatives and so therefore the Senate's gonna to have to make a decision do we accept it or do
4: we not? Okay. So um the it, it seems to me that that at the same time that there there is a push and, and not wrongfully, I don't think, to increase people's liberties with respect to their ability to carry firearms. Um The uh, Senator Allen said in a statement That as an elected official who swore to Uphold the constitution of the state and country I'll always do everything in my power To preserve the rights of Alabamians Especially those granted by the second Amendment it seems to me that As there's a push for that There's a push in the opposite direction When it comes to speech And assembly rights Um, And I'm speaking now about House Bill 2 the the so called Anti-riot bill can you speak To do, do you see
3: a dissonance there? So, well, the difference between speech and riot, I mean, when, when, when it crosses the line, I mean, the line, because uh, obviously we've got a, a right of free assembly in this country, you know, it was you know, paramount to, uh, you know, what those were some of the major things that obviously led to the Revolutionary War is the uh, suppression of speech by the king. And so, you know, the government has to have forums where where people can speak and express um express their opinions and uh you know we're starting to have that's actually spilling over now uh with sb10 spilling over into the internet and that's going to be another uh issue that we're going to have to deal with uh, possibly going forward but i I read um uh pro tem had asked me last year to read uh and and, then at least one other attorney and maybe more than that to read the riot bill um let's call it that And, you know, and and Representative Treadway was very, you know, adamant about it. Of course, he was in Birmingham where they had the experience. And reality is this. I mean, maybe I'm missing something. I'm about to be 55 years old next week. And I don't recall a riot in uh, Alabama other than the the issues that we had in in Birmingham. Uh, We had a little, you know, a little bit of it. You know, I'd say a touch, touch of it here in Huntsville a little unrest, but it didn't go too far. Um, and, uh, you know, went, went a little farther than I liked it to have gone, but it didn't, you know, it didn't didn't get uh, to the level of Birmingham. And so I don't know that we need to have a just absolute rush to judgment on here. I felt like there were provisions, and I don't remember all the specifics, uh, but I felt like there were provisions that were needed to uh, enhance the law and, and fill in some voids in the law. But I also thought it went a little bit further than than I was I thought was necessary. So uh, you know, so many of these things, the truth somewhere in the middle, and you know, maybe that's the situation uh now. Now, this passed the House last year, but it pretty much shut the House representative down last night. And so again, it gets into that in an election year, how much are you going to gum up the system, so to speak? The filibuster is a powerful thing. And I, you know, we and we see we see the minority in Alabama uh, use it well. Uh, and I am, you know, I am one that believes in the filibuster. Uh, I believe in it in the U.S. The US Senate. I believe in it in the Alabama Senate. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to, you know, cloture, the, uh, you know, whoever it is. I mean, uh, uh, it's a little bit easier for us to do cloture than it is. Certainly they can't do it in, 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 in Washington, the way the balance is. But, but but, the rights of the minority to speak And go to the microphone uh, in both houses uh, is really, you know, can as as you see this bill go forward and maybe another couple of bills go forward. I think you're going to see the Democrats really go to the mic and look. We don't like to have to cloture. Sometimes we do, and sometimes it's. and, and sometimes, you know, there's, there's some bills out there. Frankly, I don't think Republicans can get cloture on the Democrats, even though we've got the 27 votes to do it. We don't have 21 votes that would actually sign a cloture petition to trigger that. So, um, you know, it's a. Um, I say i to say that the riot bill may not even pass the House this year. And then once it comes to the Senate. I mean, Roger, Senator Smitherman sat down in my office and, and told me there are two bills he's got a big problem with, and one of them the riot bill. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to, I mean, I don't know that we were in riot stage back then because I was, you know, before I was born with, with really the civil rights movement, but um, I think that's what's driving him. It's not what's happened mm-hmm. the last couple of years ago. It's what, you know, he was, he was there, you know, he had to walk the walk back when, when those changes were, ma- were made.
4: Yeah. Well, so I can um, I'd be interested to know what the provisions of the bill you thought were needed, because as far as I'm concerned, I would support a bill mirrored after the constitutional carry bill in terms of speech which would you know if, if we can if, if we kind of mirror it we could say that well municipalities it, it's my right it's my constitutional right to speak and assemble uh, in a public place and so I shouldn't have to get a permit for that um, we could ima- imagine a bill based on the constitutional carry bill that would eliminate a certain Tuscaloosa County judge's ability to issue injunctions against people picketing their boss now does that that of course in the same way with the constitutional carry bill that murder is still illegal you still can't shoot somebody it's illegal to hit someone with a gun or shoot someone with a gun it would be illegal to hurt somebody in a protest or damage property but but as far as i'm concerned we should be s- loosening restrictions on speech and assembly instead of restricting it what are the pre- provisions that that you feel were needed so
3: it's been i mean it's literally been uh, uh, well, maybe not quite a year, but almost a year, 10 months since I read that. And I don't, when, when bills come up, um, and I'm known as a reader. I mean, that's my reputation. I, I can't read everything that comes up, but I do try to read the bills. And uh, I'm certainly one of the more prolific readers, uh, I think it's fair to say, in the legislature. But, um, but I also uh, try to, to uh, choose which ones I'm going to read, meaning when, when it comes from the House, I'm going to read it again. And I don't remember the specifics of that. I just remember that there were some issues there that I felt like we needed to, um, we needed to clarify things that were not kind of loopholes now, if you will. But I did think it went a little, went a little farther than it needed to go. And I and I can't I can't give you specifics on either one.
4: Um. So you can well generically are there in any sort of restrictions on speech and assembly that that you can think of uh, from from the protests in 2020 that you think that, that we need?
3: Oh, well, it's not, it's not the protest. I mean, it's when, it's when protests turn to, you know, beyond protest. And then, then you know, we, you're burning down, people are burning down buildings and they're, that's illegal, right? Thinks that, that is illegal. And then right. this is, so it's not to, I did not, I did not perceive this as a, uh, oh, well, we're going to, we're going to stop, you know, peaceful protest because i mean that's that's in the car you it know, wouldn't matter if we tried that, that you lose that battle uh because that would be against the uh, the constitution i mean there are you brought you brought up the issue there are things about permits there are things about um I, I guess some cities have i think huntsville has you have to have so many days notice you can't just show up and start protesting and you know and they do need to be able to have because look it could be the other side uh mm-hmm. you know we hadn't seen this fortunately and Alabama, in a long, long time, but you know, I remember in the past where, and well, we've seen it in other states where you know you have um some hate group show up, and you know, all of a sudden there's a confrontation. And 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 you know, you don't sometimes you don't know which side started it, but you know, somebody was there, maybe didn't need to be there, had the same right to be there, but maybe they shouldn't have been there, and um, oh, so. You know the, the police need to be able to have uh be, be prepared to deal with stuff and not just let you know have have chaos but um uh, but you know we do have places in at least one place in Huntsville I can think of uh, between uh Yellowhammer and um um Straight Dale you know which is basically a you know public park I think you can go uh and the reason I bring that up is some people wanted to protest outside my office one day and they you know found out they couldn't do it and um, and then they went there and they had their protest. And, uh, so, um, uh, that was over the abortion bill, but, um, right. So, well, the, I mean, you know, there, do, there are avenues out there. Uh, you but, know, I mean, I do, do see you see the, the... riot bill to be, you know, squelching, uh, um, free speech? I, I, I saw that once things get, you know, out of hand, how, how are we going to deal with things at that point in time as a government?
4: Right. Well, I mean, do you, do you see the the issue that because you said, you know, the first thing that you said, well, we don't we don't have an issue with people protesting. We have an issue with people burning down buildings. And it's like, well, that that's illegal. <laughs> like you can't you can't burn down buildings. Yeah, that's yeah, not. It's, and, it's, and you can be arrested the, for that.
3: Correct. But it's how the police handle it at that situation and how they try to de deescalate. Uh, and, you know, again, I had the build in front of me. I could go go, you know, well, I don't know if your listeners want to go through it line by line, but, you know, um, but there were, there were things there from a policing standpoint that I thought were needed to try to, you know, try to deescalate things and try to keep things from getting, getting out of hand. But, um, you know, I mean, we've had peaceful protests in this country for a long, long time. Unfortunately, um, uh, on both sides of the political spectrum in the last year, um, uh, uh, have not, um, well, I say in the last year, I guess over a year ago, uh, for for about a, probably a ten month period, we're not we're not that pleasant.
4: Right, right. So, okay. Well, that's. Um... I'll go through a couple of the things in in the bill, and and you can tell me what you you think about them. There was one one of the provisions of the bill is that there's a mandatory holding time of 24 hours. And in the public hearing, Treadaway actually said, um, when told that this would imprison innocent people, he said that's one of the reasons that I put the mandatory holding time in the bill. All those people got their charges dropped. Um, my understanding is that there are sometimes uh, that there are even some violent crimes that don't have a mandatory holding time and it seems like that to me is 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 pretty obviously something to uh you know enable the police to uh you know just pick up you know you don't have to be convicted and you can be held 24 hours and that's uh you know people will lose their jobs people lost their jobs what last if you year you were just there watching you
3: know right uh yeah, you know, that you know you can just be sitting there watching and the police come up and you know uh just you know grab you because you're standing next to the, you know somebody who was acting up and and then then mm-hmm. you're going in for 24 hours you know
4: Exactly. And, and also you can be arrested for, quote unquote, rioting. You can be convicted. You would have a felony without ever having hurt a single person, without ever having damaged a lick of property, because the the bill is basically it, it's it's, you know, on a, a police's perception of your threat level. You can be charged with a crime for, quote unquote, funding a riot. I think we you know, I, I think that we know that that's uh aimed towards the bail funds that people saw and i think that people have a right to to pay people's bail if they want you know and 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 that's that's the whole bill is to increase you know place that mandatory holding time on people increase the um the the uh uh uh, the the punishment for being convicted of quote-unquote rioting even though to be convicted under that you don't have to have damaged anything or hurt anybody and and uh, make it a crime to help help people who you feel, maybe you don't feel, but the people feel were arrested wrongfully when they were contributing to these bail funds. I mean, is this a bill that you feel like you could support?
3: I could support it with modifications, but that's, that's where the devil's always in the deta- d- details is, you know, what, what are those modifications going to be, and, and does that ultimately kill the bill, uh, you know, as we get into, you know, uh, I, th- this is not something this is something that and I'm not trying to downplay because I have a lot of respect for Representative Treadway, but this is not something that my emails get any traffic on. Okay. And I I try just, uh, just as a a side, um, just a little background on me and emails is, is, uh, I have my emails up right now. I'm actually kind of see them in the background behind this is, is, um, I do not pay attention to emails. I'm not running for governor. I don't pay attention to emails from the other part of the state. I pay attention to emails from Madison County. Uh, when I start getting flooded with emails that come from all across the state, uh, and which I am, by the way, on HB2 and something else, and I start see, you know, I open them up, my spot, check them up, because, you know, they usually form emails, and I'll see, you know, Shoals, Birmingham, Greenville, Mobile, I just delete them all in. I have no idea how many of my constituents sent those emails because they're sending them all over the state and that's spamming. I want to hear from my constituents, but I am not hearing from my constituents. We've got to pass this riot bill. So it's not something that I'm hearing a drumbeat about. I'm getting, and, it's, and I have no doubt that some of these emails opposing this are in, in my constituents, but I don't know because, you know, unfortunately, whoever's chosen to uh, promote this is, thinks it's a good idea to email people from all over the state. Uh, or send emails from people all over state as opposed to just Madison County. But um, I, I don't know that you're, I don't think that there's people waiting, waiting with bated breath to pass this riot bill. Uh, I mean, if it was, it would have passed the Senate last year. And I don't think I, I just can't, um, I, I, I don't think the audience can appreciate how much that uh, uh, the passion that Senator um, Smitherman is going to have to not allow us to go through. And, I don't think that, you know, again, we pick our battles. I don't know if this is something that we would close to remove, especially if some of us want to have changes in it and then that just kind of complicates matters even even more. for the for the proponents of the
4: bill. Right, right. Uh, well, Senator, I, I appreciate your time. I hope that we're able to have you back on. Maybe if, if this bill moves any further in the Senate and you've had had some more time to review it, uh, I'd be I, I'd be very interested in, in knowing specifically the provisions that, that you would be interested in seeing enacted. Um, So uh, if you don't have anything else, um, we'll go ahead and wrap it there. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Senator.
3: All right. Have a good night.
4: Good night. All right. We've been talking to State Senator Sam Gavan. He is a state senator from North Alabama about a couple of bills in the state legislature. Appreciate his time. My name is Jacob Morrison. My co-host is Adam Keller. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Uh, Next up, we're going to be talking to some stewards from the Machinists Union. Adam, have we got them in the Zoom?
8: They are coming in right now. So let's give them a sec to connect here. Right. Make sure the senator had exited the room so our new guest can enter the
4: room. All right. All right. So last week we talked about how workers at the United Launch Alliance organized into the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local Lodge 44 in Decatur voted 100% in favor of their strike sanction in the run up to their contract negotiations the first time ever in the locals 20 year history. We also mentioned that the union there representing more than 350 manufacturing workers at the company had a union density rate in the high 90s meaning that despite the fact that we are in a right to wreck State And workers are barred by the government from securing a clause in their contract mandating representation fees be paid. Uh, The workers, uh, the workers membership in the union is meaning that the workers membership in the union is totally voluntary. Nearly every single worker is a member of the union. So I wanted to talk to some of the people that pulled off uh, that impressive feat, even in the midst of the company flooding the unit with new hires. So we've got on the line Gavin Brunner and Anthony Michael. They are stewards for the local. Gavin, Anthony, thank you very much for taking the time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Jacob. Yeah, thank you, Jacob. Absolutely. So uh, Anthony is the chief steward just Walk us through how are you able to pull off nearly 100% membership rate among manufacturing workers in the private sector in Alabama?
9: Well, uh, Jacob, we have a a clause in our contract that uh, mainly says that we get to talk to all new hires within the first five days uh, they're hired on. So that's a big thing for us uh so we get them pretty early while they're in training we usually get uh you know 15 to 30 minutes or so that we get to go and talk to them about the union and we just explain to them you know what the union has done for us and uh just give them the, the ins and outs and uh we usually have a pretty good success rate of people joining after we do that
4: what do um I I believe that David said that there are only three new hires that haven't joined the union. Um, What what do they say after this presentation about like what the union has done? And, and, you know, are they because just generally speaking, you would imagine that you would be met with some amount of skepticism. But is that the case? Do you have to kind of walk them through that? Or or how 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 do people react when they hear y'all's presentation?
9: Well, uh, you're right. I, there is some skepticism there a lot most of the people the company's very smart most of the people they hire have never been a part of a union uh me myself included when when i hired in i was not uh ever i've never been in a union i grew up in a union household but uh you know most people they hire are never never been in the union so you know we try to explain to them hey i've been there you know, I was, uh, you know, kind of scared myself. Didn't know what to expect, but uh, we, you know, we get a lot of questions. They they'll they'll be open and they'll ask us tough questions. You know, and and we just try to be as honest as we can and and uh, you know, tell them tell them the ins and outs of the unions, which uh, you know, mostly good. I mean, at very very seldom is there anything bad about the union. If it's anything bad, you know, it's some usually someone. Has uh, done to you know rub someone wrong or you know just uh, to get a negative vibe, but mm. uh, it, it's a uh, it's just being open with the folks and you know just being honest about everything.
4: Right, right. Well, Gavin, when you talk to when you talk to people, what are the things that that you say to new hires to say that you know look this is this is what the union has done. Like what what is it that you tell them that the union's
0: done? Well, I'm a second-generation union member. My father's a retired Teamster with uh, UPS. So what I really try to explain to a lot of these new folks is that, you know, there's longevity in unions, that, you know, the people, what we're doing now is looking out for the future. You know, we're looking out for new members. We're looking out for future people who aren't even hired yet. So, you know, the thing that really helps a lot is, you know, word word of mouth gets around inside the plant. So a lot of these new hires, you know, even though they talk to us, they also talk to a lot of their co-workers once they hit the floor. So and that that really sells a lot of it also. So it's not so much hmm. that it's just the officers that are making all of the, you know, the sales pitch, but the the actual co-workers, people they're working side by side with, you know, get a chance to really talk to these guys and let them know that, hey, our conditions are a lot better with us having a union versus if we didn't have a union at all. Right, right.
4: Anthony, is that basically what you uh, what you tell the new hires as well?
0: It, it
9: is. I say we
4: we can. I'm sorry, you're kind of cutting out. I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, well, so Gavin, what are the kind of uh, while we're while Anthony's figuring out what's going on there? Uh, what are the um what are some of the skeptical questions that you get from uh from new hires, and, and how do you answer them?
0: Uh, you know, they they ask a lot of questions about you know the dues rates, and you know, with with the IAM, we're one of the lower you know lower rates for our memberships. We generally, uh, as far as dues goes, they, they're roughly your hourly rate times two per month. So mm-hmm. you can make that up in just you know one one weekend or just a, an hour or so on the weekend of, of working, or even in your regular time. So. You know, a lot of people are just skeptical about unions and what they're about, but once you really give them the pitch or, you know, you really talk to them about, you know, some of our past grievances and things that we've settled that otherwise wouldn't have been in our favor, I -hmm. think that really helps the people get past their doubts.
4: What's one of your uh, kind of – uh, uh, golden grievances that I'm, you know, I, I, lots of people have, have a certain story that they go back to every time. What's one of them that you, that, that, that you tend to go back to?
0: Well, you know, we've had a lot of times where people members have gotten unjustly uh, terminated. And, you know, when we can bring somebody back who's been on the street for say four or five months, mm. you know, that helps a lot because, you know, the company, one of their main tactics is, is they like to stall. Whenever we have grievances, they want to, you know, drag it out. And just hope that the person moves on to something else but you know we we try to fight through that as much as possible you know we go by the contract and you know the timelines that are set there we try to hold the company's feet to the fire on those things so but usually when we're able to get those things settled and get a person brought back at you know and they get their their lost time and things of that nature that's one of our our best selling points to to anybody who wants to know about you know union life
4: right (laughs) right once you get them in the union, do you have an issue well, I mean, clearly you don't, but why is it that you don't have an issue retaining them? Because you know, I could imagine a world in which like, okay, you sell them this pitch at the at the at the new hire orientation and then 6 months down the road, they say, "You know what, this isn't really working for me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cut up my union card, stop paying my dues, and and I'm just not going to be a union member anymore." But y'all don't have that problem. Why is that?
0: Well, I think, you know, the the thing that really helps us the most is sometimes you just have managers who just don't want to follow the rules. And when you see that happening to your coworker or someone, you know, in another department or anything like that, you know, that makes you really want to stick to being in the the union. You know, the solidarity, you know, the family that we that we actually have in in there as a part of the union, that really helps a lot. But, you know, you have a lot of rogue managers or managers who a lot of people about things all the time. You know, that kind of stuff, you know, we couldn't get any better advertisement and things like that.
4: <laughs> yeah, the uh, the best organizer is a bad boss, I think is a pretty common saying <laughs> in the labor movement. <laughs> um. Oh, Anthony, we got you back.
9: Yeah, I'm much sorry about that. I don't know if it picked up a, another signal or something. I don't know what that was.
4: Oh, no worries. No worries. Um. So the... Uh, uh, how, what about the hundred percent strike sanction vote why do you think it is that that uh that your membership voted a hundred percent in 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 favor of uh in the strike sanction vote
9: well personally you know like i said all of us stewards we uh we get out we we do a lot of talking to because the company has hired a lot of new hires here within the last uh three or four months and we know how important this vote is so we get out and we talk to the people And, you know, like I said, these new people, a lot of them are thinking, was this voting to strike, you know? And we told Mm -hmm. them, you know, we explained to them, no, it's not. It's it's the vote that will allow us to strike if the company doesn't meet our needs. And, you know, and we said this is very, very important, uh, almost as important as the actual strike vote uh, Mm -hmm. for the contract. So, you know, they understand it, and and we just, you know, tell them "If, if we get a bad uh bad percentage rate we're probably not going to get a good contract because the company will feel that we're weak and they'll just say you know hey they're they're weak we'll just offer them whatever and uh i think the people i mean you know they hire some pretty intelligent people out there and uh they they listen and then we got a good vote that's that's awesome
4: yeah first time in the history of the local is my understanding
9: yes it is we are always been in the, in the 90s percentile, but, mm. yeah, I believe this is the first
0: time to be
4: 100%. How are uh, – oh, I'm sorry, Gavin, were you about to say something?
0: No, no. I, I think that, you know, the you had a big turnout and we just had uh, the 100%. I mean, it, it really speaks volumes to what we're really getting ready for this spring. You know, the, the people, they, they really are, you know, we, we're in a good uh, bargaining position versus the company. You know, we got a lot of work coming in. We got a lot of new contracts that have come in, you know, so we just really want what's fair, you know, for our, for our members. And, uh, hopefully that's going to be, you know, things will be, you know, successful this, this spring.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I I sure hope so. And we're definitely going to be, uh, uh, keeping an eye on that and, um, and, and following that as the negotiations begin y'all are going to be doing some actions in the run-up to negotiations and I'm sure that we're gonna be talking to some more of y'all um, in the mean in the meantime so uh, what would you say to, to to a union member out there there are lots of lot you know we get a lot of non-union members but a lot of union members as well what would you say is the most important role of, of a steward um, to union members who may be who may be interested in in moving into that kind of role
0: well you know we we try to get the, the people basically to educate them on the contract itself you know the rules are the rules you know we we just want people to call the you know hr especially to call balls and strikes you know that's the kind of thing that we get you know um talking to the to the membership you know we'd like to get more participation as far as the officers and things like that go but you know we've been pretty successful in just the last uh, six months or so with bringing in a couple of new stewards. So, you know, the thing is, it's not, you know, a lot of times people want to think, well, you know, these guys are doing a good job, just let them have it, let them handle it, you know, they're taking care of it, let them take care of it, you know. The thing is, you got to have a lot of participation from everyone in the, in the union, you know. The thing is, we want to bring in people to, to you know, because you can get burned out doing some of this stuff, you know, year after year. Mm-hmm. But uh, bringing in the new members, you know, they have a fresh perspective, they'll, they'll help get everything done that we need done. So it's always good to have a you know a new face coming in.
4: Absolutely. That's great. That that's great to hear. Um I appreciate y'all's time. Is there anything else that y'all wanted to to add about um you know uh, about y'all's mem- being able to keep your membership up, uh membership right up uh that high um going into negotiations, I- anything else that y'all wanted to make sure you were able to say? Uh, well, I you just know, uh-
9: I'd like to just say, you know, uh, a strong membership, uh, it really does start with the leaders. Uh, you know, the, your leaders have to be strong and show good, you know, unionism. And, you know, most of the time people will get behind that type of stuff and they'll, you know, gather and join. And and uh, as, as you get bigger, you know, the group gets stronger. And, and that's what it's about. So, uh, we that's the way we are. We just try to be – Open, honest, to everyone, and, and we fight hard for any, any, you know, thing that happens to if the manager's trying to do something, uh, violating the contract, we fight hard for it. And I think our people know it. And uh, I think that's a, a part of the uh, reason that we're so strong. People, people see that and want to, and they know it and they back us. So that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, just just to kind of add on to what Anthony's saying is, uh, if if the members educate themselves as much as possible, you know, there's a lot of rumors that get started out there on the floor, you know, and a lot of managers go out there and try to sell the contract all the time, trying to say, oh well, well this looks good. If if I was you, I would take this, and this this sounds great, but you know, a lot of things, you know, just those rumors, getting that kind of stuff squashed, you know, come to talk to the to the stewards, come talk to the negotiating committee. Look at the newsletters that come out. Everything that we do, we try to put as much as we can to educate our membership so they can make the right decision for them and their families. Because, uh, you know, one of the worst things that can happen is where you got a lot of people going off of misinformation or things that just totally aren't true. You know, they think that, you know, they're they're covered, that the company has their back. But, you know, some of these things that come out, you know, when the company mails letters to people's houses, you know, they'll sell all the good points, but they won't say the things, the takeaways, and things that us as a union – educate our members on you know right it's you know you think it's all about raises or it's about all about you know this or that but the thing is you know a lot of times with job postings things of that nature though that kind of stuff is very important Mm.
4: yeah definitely uh gavin anthony i really appreciate your time keep up the good work and we'll talk to you later okay all All right right. thanks a lot jacob absolutely You've been listening to uh, Gavin Brunner and Anthony Michael. They are stewards for the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, representing manufacturing workers at United Launch Alliance. They have nearly a 100 percent membership rate in their union in a right-to-rec state, in a state where uh, workers are not able to put into the contract that they have to pay representation fees to the union. They've still got nearly a 100% membership rate in that factory, and so uh, we commend their efforts and uh, really appreciate their time talking to us about how they've been able to do that. Um, Next up, we're going to be talking about uh, some the stock trading ban in dc how that's going how our senator is responding to it and the mine workers uh their appearance on uh uh in in the senate uh the senate budget hearing uh on thursday so we will be right back you're listening to the valley labor report Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. They have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and they secured a $100 million refund. By Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about their work advocating for customers and to join the fight, go to energyalabama.org.
1: There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW 558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IVW 558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IVW558.org.
4: The attorneys of Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs are proud to represent working people in Alabama and across the southeast. They have over 100 years of experience representing injured workers in workers' compensation, personal injury, and disability claims. Let their attorneys help you when you get injured on the job. You can find them at www.mtandj.com or 855-617-9304. Let Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs help you when you get injured on the job. Again, the website is www.mtandj.com or the phone number 855 617 9333. No representation is made that the quality of legal services is greater than the quality of legal services from other law firms. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or Alabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at iamaw44.org. Hometown Action is a proud sponsor of the Valley Labor Report, and we're here to help keep you in the loop on the assault on your right to protest, picket, and peaceably assemble in Alabama. The anti-protest bill is back this year, and it's as bad as ever. There is huge interest in building worker power and increasing unionization in Alabama that has corporations scared. Don't let their influence on our state legislators become another tool to arrest striking workers and union supporters. This racist bill is especially problematic for black organized and unnecessarily gives law enforcement broad discretion to define even small, peaceful gatherings as a riot. Tell your Alabama legislators to say no to House Bill 2. We've set up an easy way for you to do that. You can go to hmtn.link slash hb2 where you'll find more information and an email template you can use right from your smartphone. That link is hmtn.link slash hb 2. You'll also find more info on social media at hometown action.
3: Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO.
4: Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. You are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. If you're just now tuning into the show, uh, you missed a really good conversation with Memphis Starbucks workers who were fired uh, for supporting their union. Uh, You can find that interview online wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube, all at the Valley Labor Report. We also uh, just finished talking to State Senator Sam Gavan about the the quote-unquote anti-riot bill and the constitutional carry bill. And frankly, I, I mean, I think we heard a lot of politician answers um, and, that, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, maybe, maybe we can get him back on when he's had a chance to read it. But um, <laughs> So <clears throat> there's been movement finally to ban stock trading. Among members of Congress, this seems like an obvious move to me, especially as so many members of Congress last year, including Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, traded millions of dollars in stocks and beat the market. It's incredibly hard to beat the market. Almost nobody can do it. And yet, most uh, uh, most Congress people did. <laughs> so Congress has access to information that the rest of the public is simply not Privy to. And barring them from stock trading only seems right, especially since we pay them to represent us, not to become millionaires off the information that they have special access to. Because of the obvious nature of this proposal, many Republicans, even, and Democrats uh, are falling in line and supporting the measure, even those that had previously opposed it, like uh, Nancy Pelosi, except Alabama Senator tommy tupperville so (laughs) the old ball coach yeah senator this is just insane senator tommy tupperville on wednesday rejected proposals to ban members of congress from trading stocks calling the idea quote ridiculous he said they might as well start sending robots up here the alabama republican told the independents eric michael garcia Quote, you can't do anything. He also said, I think it would really cut back on the amount of people that would want to come up here and serve. I really do. Tupperville added, We don't need that. Oh.
8: <laughs> I think these comments are, are much more revealing yeah. than uh, he maybe understands.
4: It'll come as no surprise to you that, in addition to beating the market, he failed to abide by even the meager reporting requirements currently placed on Congress people. Uh, From a report on Congress folks... Uh, stock trading in 2021. Tupperville was one of the mo- one of the worst violators of the stock act in 2021, disclosing 132 stock trades weeks or months late with transactions totaling at least eight hundred ninety four thousand. So I think frankly, if there are people who would serve in Congress but would be dissuaded by a stock trading ban, we would be better off as a country.
8: Yeah. I mean, what if uh, <laughs> the types of people who are in the Senate, the House, the executive branch, what if they didn't just have like $894,000 lying around in trade? In
4: a year. And a in year, one so, year. Right.
8: Yeah, that's just a... And, uh, and
4: that's just his late
8: trades. Right. That's just a tiny piece of his overall assets. That's insane. And so just the assets he has that he is... Uh, flagrantly, you know, violating the law, just that alone would be enough to sustain how many families in Alabama. Uh, but you the know.
4: median wage in Alabama is forty thousand dollars a year. Forty thousand dollars a year. And this guy is saying, if I can't make at least at least a million dollars a year, on top of the 200000 uh, $200, dollars salary that I get from the taxpayer, it wouldn't be worth it to me. Now, it wouldn't be worth it to me. You
8: know, I will confess that I don't know the fine details of this uh, stock trading ban, but I'm going to assume that you could still have like a, a generic investment. Yes. You know, you, you can, can you still can put have your mutual money in funds. a mutual fund mm-hmm. and, and just let it go. Right. Uh, so this is not you know, I, I'm I think he's trying to do this uh, victimization thing, but it's not as right. if he's no longer allowed to make money on the massive amount of money he already has.
4: But frankly, we would also be better off as a country if that were part of the <laughs> if that were uh, part uh, of sure. the van. Like yeah. you can't you can't invest anything, no investments while you're a member of Congress, except worker owned co ops. <laughs> except yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we could try to incentivize uh, worker ownership. But
8: <laughs> well, when to we get you elected up there, Jacob, that's you there know, we go. Put that top of your list. There we go.
4: Um, Our sisters and brothers in Brookwood barrel towards one year on strike. They're six weeks away from one year on strike now. Still crickets, crickets from the media in Alabama, especially conservative media. Crickets from all but a few politicians like Tuscaloosa representative Chris England. He's one of the only people who have consistently supported these striking miners. They're on strike because of unfair labor practices, a failure to bargain by the company in good faith, a loss of health care, retirement and six dollars an hour. Six dollars an hour. In the absence of support from Alabama politicians, independent senator from Vermont Bernie Sanders held a hearing in the U.S. Senate's Budget Committee on what corporate raiders are doing to workers and consumers. We're going to play the testimony from the hearing from Cecil Roberts, international president of the UMWA, and Braxton Wright, one of the Alabama miners, in full, since the context is important, and unfortunately, if you get your news from conservative talkers, you won't know anything. Anything at all about what's going on, unfortunately. And it's amazing. The longest strike, the longest strike in Alabama history and people who are on the radio for three to five hours a day can't find the time to talk about it. I mean, that's just that's insane. Can't find the time to advocate on behalf of working Alabamians amazing to me uh, but so like I said we're gonna play those testimonies in full first up here is President Roberts uh, so all right so well, the, the international we're gonna um, of the United we're gonna World tell them to put it in post we'll say 15 minutes each of these clips are like seven uh, minutes long you
8: so each of these each of these clips are like seven minutes long we'll say 15 minutes and I'll and just tell them to put it in, in post so. we right.
1: appreciate uh, the willingness to hear
4: from workers here today. Uh, you just heard uh, president cecil roberts he is the international president of the united mine workers of america speaking on thursday at the u.s senate's budget committee hearing on what uh, corporate raiders are doing to workers and consumers in america uh he spoke at the invitation of independent senator from vermont bernie sanders and now uh on the next uh, next on the panel alabama coal miner braxton wright all right put his My interview here in braxton post Wright, who's a yeah. mine employee at Warrior put Met. his interview here in post and uh okay honestly i don't know how you listen to these testimonies and be filled with anything other than totally justified rage when i listen to these live I nearly cried during Braxton's testimony because of how he spoke about what the bankruptcy contract did to him and his family. Before he was able to, but before he talked about how most of the partners of coal miners or many of the partners of the coal miners did not have to work uh they could stay at home and be a caregiver to their children and things like that additionally the coal miners themselves had to work less to make ends meet and they themselves were able to actually go and uh and and you know be a part of their family and Over the last five years, these people have essentially been sponsoring their families, having to work six uh, to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. I mean, that's what it ultimately is. You're not spending any amount of time with your family. You're basically just sponsoring them. You're going to work. You're waking up. You're going to work, and you're coming home, and you're going to sleep so that the rest of your family can live. And That is, that's just not something that we should be having to deal with today. That's not something that workers in Alabama should have to do so that New York hedge fund managers can make millions of dollars a year. I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. Uh, but that's not the reaction that Alabama Senator Tommy Tupperville had. That's not the reaction that he came to this Senate hearing with presented with an opportunity on a national stage co- to condemn the exploitation of a small Alabama community by international private equity firms. he began his remarks by saying that he felt this was inappropriate. Adam, let's play that clip.
2: don't want to associate myself with the remarks made by ranking member Braun. while this is not the first time the chairman has directly involved himself in union dealings in my home state of Alabama I want to make it clear and on the record, I do not believe the Budget Committee has a jurisdiction over matters involving labor practices across our country. If a hearing like this should take place at all, it should be in front of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pension Committee, better known as HELP, which I am a member. That being said, I think it is inappropriate for Congress to weigh in on labor disputes.
4: Can you imagine? You're a politician. You're elected to presumably make people's lives better. Like, what do you mean you think it's inappropriate to weigh in on private Negotiations, and of course, of course, this is not a consistently held belief that these politicians have. That has been the the response from politician after politician that I have reached out to, asking them to comment on this on on the on the strike. They've said it's not my place; it's private negotiations, whatever, whatever. And those same people will talk about Minnie Mouse wearing a pantsuit instead of wearing a dress. That's that's happening in a private company. Like, and, and it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter at all what a mouse wears. What a cartoon mouse wears. It, like, they'll also comment on, uh, uh, on Dr. Seuss's estate taking down some books that had racist cartoons in it. That's a private company. That's a private institution deciding what to do with its resources. Of course they comment on that. And it's, it's absurd. The only time that they have this stance is when it, uh, uh, when it involves actual material benefits for working people. He then spouted off a couple of misleading facts uh, from Warrior Matt's PR people, despite having just said he didn't think Congress ought to weigh in. He just finished saying, I'm playing these chronologically. He said, first, I think it's inappropriate to weigh in. But then he said, Basically, well, if I'm going to weigh in at all, it's going to be on the side of the boss. Let's play that clip of where he talks about the wages, Adam.
2: I want to make sure the record accurately reflects the facts and figures of what is being discussed today with Warrior Met Coal, located in Brookwood, Alabama. The jobs at Warrior Met Coal pay an average wage of over $97,000 annually. This is one of the top average wages in the state.
4: What a ghoul. What a disgusting ghoul. We just finished talking about how he didn't think $200,000 was enough compensation for important special snowflakes like him. We just finished talking about that. What he doesn't say in that clip, but you would know if you heard the testimony, is that these miners worked six to seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day for that $97,000 a year. That's not nearly enough for the kind of work that they do and the kind of hours they spent doing the kind of work that they do. And he has the audacity to literally a single day after he gave his remarks on the stock trading ban saying that it's not enough of an incentive to get over $200,000 a year from the U.S. taxpayer to do his job. He has the gall to literally less than 24 hours after those statements tell coal miners in Alabama... That ninety-seven thousand dollars is enough for you, for six to ten day week, uh, uh, six to seven day work weeks, ten to twelve hour days. What a ghoul! Just disgusting. And frankly, he seemed confused about what his purpose as a politician is. Let's play that last uh, that last clip about um, where he said what he thought the whole agenda of the hearing was.
2: So to me, it's clear clear that the purpose of this hearing is for the majority to push a political agenda.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's politics. That's politics. You're a politician. You weigh in on (laughs) to push a political
8: agenda. Every hearing is pushing a political agenda. Every hearing you don't have is also a reflection of a political agenda it's
4: completely and, asinine. and 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 the, the the he wants people to be brain poisoned to think enough to think that things like m- having a mr or mrs potato head is politics but people's wages and working conditions are not and i think that's where the disconnect is right i think that's what he's getting at he's saying oh wages those are decided by the boss that's not politics that's just nature and that's of course nonsense yeah
8: i i really think you you hit it on the head there i, I think that is a, a good example of how Mainstream conservatives view politics and frankly, a lot of mainstream liberals, too, because it's just, you know, the reaction to those reactions Yeah, uh, about various cultural touching points and the economy is just
4: off the table. Right. Yeah. The economy is just natural. There are no decisions that people make. You take your crumbs and go take your crumbs and go. And we want to talk about real issues like whether or not a cartoon mouse is wearing a skirt.
8: But in terms of brain poison, I mean, the more I listen to the Senator Tuberville, the more brain poison I'm feeling. Yeah. I, I, it's so,
4: just, uh, way to go, Tommy. Insane. Yeah, uh, Disgusting. What a ghoul. Cool, he had the gall after that. He had the gall after that to go up to Braxton Wright, Alabama coal miner, and try to shake his hand. Um, Braxton did not shake his hand after that disgusting display. But frankly, he would have been within his right to beat the tar out of him, I think. I think he would have been within his right to beat the tar out of him. And uh, am I saying he should have done that or that it would have been legal? No, uh, but would he? Would it have been ethical? Absolutely, absolutely.
8: And uh, we would have given to the bail fund, and, and, <laughs> and then guess what? Uh, Alabama legislators would have tried to penalize us too. Uh,
4: so that's that's politics for Alabama. Yeah. As we're wrapping up here on the radio, let's do a few plugs. Uh, You can leave us a voicemail, 844-899-TVLR, 844-899-8857. If you want to leave us a message about the show, you can do it there. You can give us money at unionly.io slash o slash TVLR. You can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining member of the program. But that is it for us on the radio today folks you can find us online to stay tuned for overtime where we're going to be getting a conservative perspective on some of the issues that we spoke about earlier in the show from talk radio host michael Yaffe. we're going to be talking postal service reform and answering listener voicemails all power to the workers